being a kid, whenever I wanted to know something, I, I was always the kid that was like, well, why? But why? But, but why? And so that's me as an adult, where instead of asking other people why, I just figure out myself, well, why does this thing work the way that it does? And so whenever I have a question about anything and I just have a naturally curious mind, I want to know how things work and how they're constructed and how they're assembled and what part does what and how does it function, I just adopt that into my repertoire of, of learning. And so I, I spend a lot of the day reading articles and if I don't understand something or I don't get why that would be the way that it is, I, I try to do research on it. And as I learn, I try to – one of the ways that I've been able to to make sure that I retain information is to basically make sure that I could explain it to someone else if I needed to. And if I can successfully explain it to someone else and correctly, then that's a pretty good indicator that I had actually learned what I was attempting to learn. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rentinger. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics and gadgets. And John. Yes, Drew. We do this every time. I don't know how. I don't know how. This is probably the only show on the internet that does this. It's by design, by design. I don't know who, who designed it this way, but it happens. Every week, we have the best guest we've ever had, yet the best guest we've ever had never eclipses the previous guest on the show. How is that possible? It is a feat of magic, and we've had some good guests on, right? And we've had, oh, for sure. we had John Morrison, we had Marquez, uh, you know, we've had, we've had really solid guests, but somehow we managed to get better. We saved the best for last, although this is not our last show. <laughs> Mr. Quinn Nelson, the proprietor of Snazzy Labs. How are you doing? Oh, that's the first time I've ever heard that title. I like it. <laughs> Put on your business cards. The, the king of Snazzy Labs. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. How are you doing? I'm swell. It's Monday morning. You got to love those. We should say the, the recently married Quinn Nelson. Yes, we do. That's true. That's Congratulations. true. As married life, how's it been treating you? It's good. I'm still married, so it, it's going pretty well. <laughs> I mean, listen, that's, that's a, that is that is a plus. Yeah. <laughs> One month later, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Marriage, ma- marriage review, two months later. <laughs> so before we jump into, if someone's listening who doesn't know who Quinn is and, and the work that he does, we'll be getting into that. But a couple of quick things to go over from last week. First, actually, yeah, there's a few things. And Quinn is the perfect guest for these things, too, despite the fact that he wasn't even here for these. Yes. First of all, a couple months back, you said AirPods Max are not for you. You will not be buying them. You did see the utility for other people, but to you, they just weren't worth the price. And yet here you are wearing your pair of AirPods Max. How are you liking it? Well, okay. so I should preface again. I still don't think AirPods Max are necessarily worth it. I'm not an audiophile. I just I want to be able to hear stuff. And it kills me that they use lightning to charge. But I did switch a lot of phones over to Verizon, and they give you a $450 gift card for every line you switched. So I had close to $2,000 in Verizon credits. Each line? Each line was $450 okay. in Verizon credits. Okay. And I switched over four lines. So I bought myself a pair of AirPods Max. I couldn't understand why my wife didn't want a new phone. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I didn't understand it, but I accepted it. And I didn't want to go like buy phones and sell them just to make a couple hundred bucks. It just seems something I didn't want to do. So I bought sure. myself a pair of a pair of AirPods Max and I'm using them. They're great. They're headphones. I don't think I would have paid cash for them. They still annoy me. They charge with lightning, but they're fine. They're fine. I loved Quinn's video on the AirPods Max. As did I. I personally like I know what I like when it comes to sound, 
but I have a hard time explaining it on a technical level in a way that doesn't just like fly over people's heads. And Quinn did that like very well. You can show that video to pretty much anyone and they can get it. It's like you watch this video, you figure out, do I like what he's saying or not? It wasn't so much about the review of the product as it was the, the expertise in breaking down what would likely be a hard topic to do if you aren't just focusing on like, you know, reading specs or something like that. Quinn, great job on that. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm still using my, I gave them a better review than they're fine, which is the two word review we just got from John. But uh, <laughs> I, I do have to admit, I'm, I'm looking at you guys right now on the FaceTime. You're both wearing AirPods Max. Do you know what I'm wearing? Oh, some weird, obscure. I was going to say, it's probably something that costs $15,000. No, no, I, I'm wearing, I'm wearing AirPods Pro. Oh, all right. I, you know, I, I still think that my AirPods Pro, not think, I mean, they definitely get the most listening time of probably any pair of headphones I own. And I, I really do like the AirPods Max. They sound fantastic, but I, I've developed some beefs with them over time. Their weight and comfort is truly problematic for me. They're too heavy. And I think they clamp my head too strong. I just, I can't wear them for very long without them bothering me, which I'm generally not super sensitive to that stuff, but they bug me. And then the other thing that I will echo John on, uh, charging via lightning is so frustrating because especially with the iPhone 12, I don't have lightning cables laying around anymore. I've got MagSafe and Qi and I use USB-C for everything else. And these things will just sit dead for two weeks because I think to myself, well, where did I put that one lightning cable I still have? I don't remember. Charging with lightning feels like a punitive move from Apple. Like, I don't know, it just, it just, it's so dumb. I just felt like, le, like, let's see what we can get away with. It's so dumb. Quinn, what do you use headphones wise when you edit? So I don't want to show my cards, but I don't edit anymore. <laughs> so when you, I, when you do edit, when I do edit, see, this will, this will scare the both of you. When I do edit, I just use the headphones that my editor uses and prefers, which are Old school Audio Technica ATHM fifties. So with with you know YouTube uh, editing, it's you know I'm not doing anything that's super high production, so I've I've never felt the need for more. If I was going to be an editor full time, I would choose a, a different setup uh, at my desk right here. When I want to listen to music and when I want to do stuff really well, I will wear these Stax SRL seven hundred, which are open back electrostatic speakers. I have this massive rectifier amplifier next to me. And they're awesome, but I can't use them for stuff like this because they leak like crazy. I mean, they contain no sound whatsoever. So if you're ever on a call or whatever, I can't use them. And so I keep my AirPods Pro in my pocket almost every day. And so when I need to do something like this, I just whip them out and stick them in. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sound bad. Don't sound bad. (laughs) Nobody clip that and play it on loop. (laughs) Wow. Okay. <laughs> another another follow-up from, I think, two weeks ago. These were both from the Marquez episode. Tesla now allows you... I, I knew this was coming. ...to buy a car using Bitcoin. Now, in that episode, it had already been announced that Elon said they were working on this. And John said it will be years before this actually comes to fruition. I think you said we will be standing on Mars before Tesla sells a car it's true. I did. I using did say Bitcoin. That. I did say that. I stand by it. Because they're still they're doing it. 
<laughs> have you read have you read the disclosure when you try to not. order a car with Bitcoin? It is like you essentially says you're an idiot, but go ahead and be an idiot. I think it was Marquez even that tweeted like how brilliant it is to buy a depreciating asset with a theoretical appreciating asset. Mm-hmm. Made me laugh. I honestly I didn't think they were gonna get around how to do it or how they were gonna lock in a price. Yeah. I'm shocked that they did it so fast. And listen, I was definitely wrong with my prediction. But I, I'm shocked that that's a thing. And if you are looking to buy a Tesla, do not do it with Bitcoin. Not only are you getting hit, people think that when they buy it, they're not getting hit with taxes on it, it's just like a transfer. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that leaves your account, like you're paying property taxes, I believe, on Bitcoin. The government treats it as property. What? Wow. Nelson, I'm not a don't take home to me for tax advice, but that's my understanding, at least. I mean, so it's like a doubly dumb thing to do. But listen, according to Elon, Tesla's are appreciating assets <laughs> because of the price of autopilot constantly increasing. It's true. So yeah. I think I should, yeah. we should probably, we all have threes. We should probably sell our threes. And we probably pay, let's say, between 50 and 75,000 for them. We'd probably sell them for at least 110 right now. <laughs> on a, you know, I would, that's I, on I, a Wednesday. I would think. On a, on a yeah. Friday, you'll get 150. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I argued with him about that on Twitter a year and a half ago, and he ended up replying to me. And we had a couple of messages back and forth. And I remember, look, you know, I'm, I'm not an accountant. I don't claim to be more intelligent than Elon Musk. He's clearly a genius. But uh, I got written up in Motley Fool. And I think Forbes did an article too, where basically it boiled down to this idiot YouTuber understands accounting law better than Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> What was the argument? That it was an appreciating asset. I said, it's not. Ah. By definition, it is a depreciating asset. It might earn you revenue over time, but it is not appreciating. It is a liability. Yeah, the asset itself isn't, yeah. making yes. money, isn't is increasing in value. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as like all these town cars. You know, there, the, the chauffeur services will drive them. Yeah. Those are not appreciating assets no. while they are still making money. Yeah, right. What do you think of the argument that I've been seeing that with Tesla being so focused on the environment with solar, with EVs, that they are now using Bitcoin, which the I don't know much about this part, but is a huge waste of electricity, basically. Like when you're buying and the, especially the amount yeah. of Bitcoin you need to use, you're wasting so much energy for the transaction. I want to chime in on that. I always... There's an argument to be made from a lot of people that when you buy a Tesla, the energy that's being, you know, that it takes to make that car is more than it takes to build a, an internal combustion car. And then when you charge your car, you're charging it from dirty sources, so it's dirtier than driving a internal combustion car. It's an argument you hear all the time. And I think the counter to all of that is that Bitcoin mining, electric cars, your home, do not care where that energy comes from. Should you have access to a clean energy grid? Should you have access to solar? The Bitcoin mining is still using the same electricity and your car is still being charged. So while it does consume a lot of energy, I don't know where that energy is being generated from. Maybe they're solar farms, maybe they're going off a dirty grid. But that argument of everybody gets electricity from the exact same dirty place, I just fundamentally disagree with. I agree with that. Fair enough. It came out much stronger than I expected that to come out. I hear that all the time from people like, oh, you got a Tesla, you know, it's dirtier. I'm like, well, actually, maybe for some people. Here's how California's energy is being generated. Here's how my energy is being generated. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you still have a stupid face. I'm like, okay, so that's what we're, that's, that's what we're, we're talking about here. All right. Let's, let's talk about Quinn for a second. Who is Quinn Nelson? Yes. I want to preface this by saying 
There is one thing in particular that I feel like I can watch someone's content and know if they are going to last long term. There's one thing. Regardless of what else you have in your repertoire, when you watch Quinn's videos, you can tell that he is having fun. That is true. He, he, he genuinely enjoys the content he's making and what he's doing versus just someone who sees a topic that they have an opinion on and they want to share their opinion. This is someone who, who really enjoys, like, I'm watching him have fun and I'm just having fun watching the video because of it. So, Quinn, let's talk about how you got into, into this game, how long you've been doing it. We talked about it a little bit before we started recording. And mostly what I'm interested in is what got you into, like, you, you are a tech channel, but I think you would agree that you do skew towards Apple in a lot of your content. So what got you into Apple in particular? Sure. Okay. Wow. Where to begin? First of all, I'm glad I have fooled you both into thinking I enjoy my job. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I started doing YouTube clear back in 2008. John had already been doing it for, I think, like 20 years at that point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, about <laughs> give or take. Yeah. <laughs> but I was one of the uh, earlier people to the scene. And I think I've lasted longer than, than most. Uh, part of the reason is I was able to take a little bit of a sabbatical. I was gone for two years serving a mission for my church where I went down to Bolivia and kind of served and helped people down there. And that gave me an opportunity to A, grow up a lot because I, I started doing YouTube when I was 15 years old. And so I was, I was truly a kid. And then the other thing I think it had permitted me to do was, was I was able to leave during the initial boom of the tech review industry when I left, John was on top and had been for a while, but guys like Jonathan Morrison, TLD, they were, they were catching up. Marquez was picking up some steam, mm. but you go back and watch videos from 2012. They are very different from the reviews we'll see today. Very extremely low production. Oftentimes people would just hit record, talk for 10 minutes and then upload that to YouTube. Maybe they throw a cheesy intro at the beginning and, and that's it. And then when I came back, Morrison and a couple of others had really kind of revolutionized the idea of this is how you make a tech YouTube video. Um, people had, you know, 4K video they were publishing. The A-roll was shot separately from the B-roll. There were all these halo shots. People were using sliders and all sorts of crazy stuff. And I came back and was like, uh-oh, I, I don't know how to do this anymore <laughs> because the, the platform had kind of evolved in my absence. And I think as a lot of people tend to do, I was inclined to copy the success that others had found. So I started shooting things like Jonathan Morrison and I started reviewing phones like Marquez. And I started doing a lot of the stuff that everyone else was doing because that's kind of what everyone else was doing. And so from 2014 yeah. to 2016, probably, I primarily reviewed Android smartphones because that's, that's what the cool thing to do was. And I liked it and I had fun. But the reality was, is that I wasn't Marquez. I, I wasn't Jonathan Morrison. I wasn't Jonathan Rettinger. I mean, there were too many guys that were doing stuff better than I was doing and would ever be able to do. And so I think around 2016, I had gotten really busy with school. My production schedule had had decreased to the point where I was maybe making a video once every two, three weeks. It was, it was really slow. I mean, I was mostly just making enough YouTube videos to pay for college and gas. I mean, it was, it was really, I didn't think it was going to be tenable long-term. 
And then mid-2016, I, I kind of woke up. I discovered other parts of YouTube. I, I took a lot of inspiration from Linus Tech Tips and, and a couple of other channels that just kind of did different stuff because I, I couldn't compete with the guys who did stuff well. So why try to compete? You're always going to lose. Um, I, I didn't get early access to phones like many of them did. By the time I did publish my review, it happened days later because I didn't have a team. Their shots were better. Their scripts were often better. And so I figured, well, the best way to compete is to not. <laughs> and I just started making videos that I wanted to make. And they were drastically different in terms of what those ended up being. You know, some were Hackintosh builds, some were DIY projects, some were just random stuff that I thought was cool. And luckily, I, I think my audience over time has adopted a lot of the same interests as I have. And I no longer question myself when I make a video, is this something worth doing a video on? Or are people going to watch this? I just kind of wonder myself, is this something I'm interested in? And do I think other people will think it's cool? And if the answer is yeah, then we make a video on it. And some stuff does really well. Some stuff does less well, but it doesn't matter because, you know, we're kind of always on the up and up. And even though we're growing really slowly relative to a lot of other channels, our, our growth has been pretty steady and, and pretty sustainable, which has made it great for advertisers. And we have a lot of fun. <laughs> Long story short. That's great. Like that's, that kind of speaks to what I was just saying. So you came back and you tried to do, not that you didn't enjoy it, but you tried yeah, to do what you fun. saw was being successful elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Right. But when you stopped doing that and just embraced, here's what I like, here's what I think is cool this is what I'm going to do. And you kind of, I mean, it's kind of risky to do that, right? Cause you know, oh, this, for sure. what I'm doing now seems like it's working and now I'm going to do a little bit of a transition. I don't know what's going to happen yeah. next, but I can tell you, cause I've been watching you for so long, your personality instantly just, just came through. Like I could watch you and just see like, aside from the shooting and editing, like take the job part out. I can tell that the, these projects that you do is stuff that, you would just do anyway. You would just like to do this stuff <laughs> I do. anyway. A lot of them I never film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say Quinn is one of those channels where there's a topic he make on something I have no interest in. I mean, none at all. And also watch a video because it's interesting just to watch him talk about a topic that clearly he's <laughs> well, so passionate you. about. I'm like, I've, <laughs> yeah. I have never heard of that. I have never heard of that headphone brand. I will never spend that much money for a pair of <laughs> headphones. But I will sit here and watch a 14-minute video on it and then feel like an expert afterwards. What got you into Apple? Birth. Uh, <laughs> my dad was a, uh, was a long time Apple user, uh, from kind of the, the dawn of, I mean, he had an Apple too, I believe. So since early eighties, he, he was kind of an Apple guy. And so I had just grown up in a home with, with Macs. I, I never had a PC up until a couple of years ago when I started branching out on, on YouTube a little bit, I had never owned a windows computer at all. And so I just naturally gravitated towards Apple cause that's what I had. So I was lucky enough to be born into the superior platform. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> but no, it's it's just something that I, I kind of had around. And so I had always taken up interest in Apple because that's what I had. And as I became more interested in technology, you know, you become more interested in what you're familiar with. So I yeah. kind of as a kid was super interested in in the iPod and the Macintosh. And then when the iPhone came around, that's kind of when it all spiraled out of control. And I decided, hey. Let's start making YouTube videos about cases. <laughs> <laughs> Have you dealt with fanboyism 
especially when you kind of made that switch away from Android and into a more Apple heavy channel? Do you deal with people who hate on you specifically because you make Apple content? Initially, yeah, I think it kind of comes in ebbs and flows. And I think a lot of it comes down to, let me put it this way. I think my transition away from Apple in my post-mission YouTube days were extremely beneficial because I did start to see the other side of the coin. And yeah. a lot of people will consider it cynicism, but I I, <laughs> I think that a lot of my personality is identifying things that can improve and also identifying things that are good, no matter who makes the product and no matter where it's available from. So I right. now today, I mean, I, I carry an Android phone and an iPhone in my pocket at all times. I use Windows every single day, just as I use macOS every single day. And so I think now that I've embraced all of the platforms and their strengths and weaknesses, it allows me to be a little more objective. And so I am quite proud about the fact that I think you know, generally based on comments I see online and Reddit threads and and all the stuff that I'm considered one of the more fair and balanced, maybe that means grumpy, but one of the more <laughs> fair and balanced <laughs> Apple focused channels. Cause we yeah. praise Apple when they deserve it and we throw them under the bus when they deserve to be criticized. So, yeah. Which is never. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, thank I don't you. know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some news. Yeah. Let's talk about what's going on in the world. So first we're starting with iPhone 12S or 13, whatever this thing's going to end up being called. Yeah. So I'm just going to read to you the headline features. This is via Max Weinbach, who is 67% accurate according to Apple Track. It's true. Run by our friend Sam. So here's what we're seeing. A thinner cutout, a.k.a. notch. A matte black color option, potential orange color option for the Pro line. ProMotion display, which includes always-on functionality. Improved noise cancellation with beam forming for phone calls, whoever takes those and doesn't use headphones these days. Complete overhaul of portrait mode that relies heavily on the LiDAR scanner. Much higher quality ultra-wide lens. New image stabilization correction mode that auto-detects a subject and keeps them in focus during video recording, in-display touch ID, battery life increases, and a coating on the stainless steel model to reduce smudges and fingerprints. And rainbows and unicorns <laughs> will come out of its USB-C port? I mean, this is like a laundry list of things like, yeah, this would be a great thing to have. I love Max. You know I talk about it. I'm sure yes. his sources are telling this. There's no way this phone launches with all of that. I hope it does. But what do you mean? Apple notoriously pulls things back the last minute. Like, this is like, hey, no. let's fix everything. Let's fix everything wrong with our phones. I think. I don't think Apple is, has this. Apple is at such a scale that they, they don't have the opportunity to pull stuff last minute. It's like you have to. So like 120 hertz wasn't being tested for the iPhone 12 Pro and the iPhone 12 Pro Max and then was pulled. No, no, I'm saying, see, I don't think it was pulled. I think it was, we're testing it to see if it's working. Okay, it's not working, so we're not going to go with okay. it. But I don't think so, it was like, we're doing this and then, oh. Last oh, minute, we're pulling this. Okay. So let me really rephrase. I think a lot of that stuff is being tested right now. And I'm, I doubt for a lot of that makes it, makes it to production, at least, for this coming phone in September. Okay. Quinn, what do you think about this? I don't know. I, I tend to agree with, with both of you. On the 120 hertz ProMotion stuff, I, I had read, and, and the thing that makes the most sense to me 
is product availability. Apple operates at such a massive yeah. scale yep. that when there's not components ready to rumble, they make no issue in in skipping stuff, you know, to the next year. Some companies would release with lower inventories to begin with. Other companies mm-hmm. would, you know, delay the launch of the phone. Apple's not going to do that because people will buy the iPhone no matter what. So they fit what they can in in that one year period. I do tend to agree with John that they're not going to fix all of the woes that exist with the phone because then they need to make each upgrade substantive enough to warrant it. I believe the rumor of the notch, that's been rumored for years now. It makes sense. I think that the Face ID tech can probably fit into a, a smaller area. I don't think USB-C is ever coming to the iPhone. And you know, what were the other things? 120 hertz ProMotion? I think that's likely. I think that will absolutely be restricted to the Pro models. You're not going to find that on the mini or the entry level. I think one of the issues Apple has kind of had with the 12 and 12 Pro is that there isn't enough to differentiate the two and ProMotion will be a big one. And so that mm-hmm. further kind of segments their product lineup. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a, an iPhone upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking at this list and saying, oh, wow, Apple's doing all this amazing stuff. I'm almost looking at this as, okay, like a lot of these aren't to me features. Like if you make the notch thinner, it's not a feature. Like all you're doing is moving the the earpiece up to the top and then just condensing it. Like that's not a feature. That's not why someone's going to buy this phone. Matte black color option, except for Marquez, it's not a, it's not a feature, Right. So we start seeing ProMotion, which allows the always on display. So that's like really one feature to me. Improved noise canceling with beam forming. I don't know who's taking phone calls like just like this anymore, just holding a phone up to their ear. Uh, I guess people do it, but I take it doesn't seem like that. a huge deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the portrait mode using LiDAR, they are already doing that with night mode on the current generation. So now it'll just be at all times. And yeah. then the much higher quality ultra wide lens, that seems like, again, not a huge deal. Like who's who's really buying the phone for ultra wide photography primarily? And then in display touch ID, that might be like a bigger one. Battery life increases. The coating on the stainless yeah. steel, like <laughs> I don't look at the sides. I'm I'm looking at the display. I think what's interesting is Apple's if Apple's going to be experience component shortages mm-hmm. trying to get to production. Yeah. In the, Components are crazy hard to find right now. I know Apple's making their own, but those, you know, their own still needs parts. And I'm curious if that's going to impact what their launch plans are, their launch windows, or even the launch features. I'm curious if Apple does go in display, if they opt for Qualcomm's newest ultrasonic mm-hmm. or make their own. The, the in-screen fingerprinter in the S21 is amazing. It's ridiculous. I mean, it is unbelievably good. I cannot imagine Apple making something better than that. I can't imagine a fingerprint reader working better than that works. So I would love to see that. Listen, if Apple only does in-screen fingerprint reader and ProMotion display, that's a huge upgrade. I think a, a huge upgrade. Smaller notch makes sense, different colors. They love to do that every year. If that's all that happens, plus a new processor, I think it is a giant reason to upgrade uh, for a lot of people. I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I I agree with that, but at the same time, you have to remember there's the pro and the non-pro lines. So if that was all they did, then that means half the phones in the lineup only get a new processor because they're not, at least as far as we're predicting, not putting that yeah. new display in the in the standard. Yeah. Nor are they putting the stainless steel coat. It's nice coating that they've got here. Oleophobic, remove smudges <laughs> of fingerprint. I don't know, man. I feel like there's something here know. that we're not seeing. I feel like this isn't enough. That's how I feel. Every phone has like a headline feature, even if all the other stuff is 
just okay. What is the headline feature? Okay, what's the headline feature on the 12th, aside from design? Or is design the headline feature? <sighs> I would say, I guess the design for most people is the headline feature, but I would say the camera, the ca- the main camera, like the wide, the main wide angle camera upgrades would probably be the main feature. Okay. I think Apple would, t- I think Apple would tell you it's 5G. Yeah, I think Apple would, would probably agree. say 5G is the main feature. Yep. And if Apple is going to tout 5G as the main feature of their new phones, they could tout beam forming noise canceling <laughs> as their killer feature, call it something crazy and make that the must have feature of the iPhone 13. They'll just bring back people talking on the phone normally. Yeah. You don't even need our AirPods anymore. Just talk on the phone normally for the, the premium experience. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like. There's something missing. I uh, touch. I'd struggle with trash ID, man. That's a weird one for me. Ever since wow. I've heard it, it well, okay. So on one hand, I agree that the latest in-screen fingerprint readers are fantastic to the point where I would even say that I think they're largely superior to touch ID. Touch ID has become too slow. And the convenience factor of touch ID used to be that it was so reliable and dependable. I don't yep. think that that is any longer the case. I think you know modern in-screen fingerprint readers have gotten so good and they're faster. And so adding an in-screen touch ID sensor, should it be as good as the ones that exist on modern Android phones, make face ID largely irrelevant. So why continue shipping face ID? In the same breath, I think that Apple is a company that tends to be stubborn. <laughs> and if they believe that Face ID is the superior way to authenticate and the more secure way, and they've been doing that for years and they've been touting, hey, this is better and here are the reasons why, for them to put an in-screen fingerprint reader in kind of undermines what they've done and stated in the past. Amplify that with the fact that the idea of dual biometric to me seems strange anyways, save for maybe the pandemic changing the way that they've designed their phones. Even so, I think if we see Touch ID at all, it will either come in display and Face ID goes away or Face ID remains and we get a Touch ID physical button like we have on the iPad Air. That's kind of like a, hey, you know, Touch ID is still better, but if in the weird instance the Touch ID doesn't work because you have a mask on or you're at a weird angle, there is another option. So that's interesting. I think the part about redundancy is interesting. What if just hypothetically, Apple says we're going to lean into face ID, but we're aware of the world situation. What if there's higher emphasis placed on above nose, eyes, forehead area? But don't if that could still be as biometrically secure without having sort of your mouth and your nose be part of that authentication process. Can face ID be made to work in a pandemic world or do we have to have something else to authenticate things with? I don't know. Samsung had their iris scanner forever and it was slow and crappy, but it it did. That's true. I mean, it technically it did scan your eyeballs rather than the geometric shape of your face, which is how face ID works. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they just redesign it to, you know, look at another part of your face or to look at a certain aspect of your face more intently than other. Yeah. I don't know. I'm curious how, because I don't know. These current in-screen fingerprint readers work. They, they are so fast, but I do remember when Touch ID came out and other phones started putting fingerprint sensors in, the other ones would just like take a picture of your thumbprint. And so you could fool it because it wasn't actually using 
depth data or whatever. More secure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm wondering, is the ultrasonic fingerprint reader secure or is it so fast because it lacks something? Hmm. Because Apple would likely say, hey, this is just as fast and it's the most secure. Yeah, I, that, that, I, that I can't say. Qualcomm, I, I would generally trust Qualcomm's flagship technology, especially for that to be secure authentication. Um, but that's a fair, a fair question. I don't know the answer. Okay, let's talk about MagSafe for a minute. John, you wanted to, you specifically said you wanted to talk to Quinn about MagSafe. I, I, yeah, this is, this is a weird question for Quinn. Hmm. Quinn, I think you do a very nice job when you hypothesize on future use of technology. Oh, well, thank you. And I've, I've always enjoy, enjoyed that with your video. What do you see and how do you see Apple using MagSafe? Obviously, the future of MagSafe is not just a neat way to faster charge your phone. How do you see MagSafe changing? Do you see it going on devices other than phones? Is it the future for data transfer? Like, what do you think is happening with MagSafe in the future? You know, I struggle fundamentally with MagSafe because I think that I tend to believe the opinion that it began development after air power didn't work out. And not that it's a replacement for air power, but that they've had to shift their method on how are we going to wirelessly charge phones. I do think that a common complaint against Qi is, should Apple be deciding to move to an eventual portless iPhone? Well, I can't charge it when I'm sitting in bed or when I'm driving around in my car or whatever. Yeah. MagSafe omits that by by quite literally ensuring that the Qi puck <laughs> stays directly on the coil. You don't get that movement. You don't get any off access. There's no, is it connected? Do I have to check? It just, it works. But I don't know beyond its current revision how it can really be used beyond how it's being used. Well, and I think Apple was maybe hoping that the third-party market would come up with ideas. And, and they're starting to, but it's really slow. Yeah. I think a lot of the problem is, and I I did a video on this, the, the magnets inside of the iPhone are not the most expensive Apple can put in, but they're pretty close. And their strength is still not that high. And that's not a fault of the magnets Apple is using. That's just a fault of physics. And there are ways that they can increase the sheer strength of, of the magnets. For example, if you pull a MagSafe puck like directly off of your phone without sliding it, it's quite difficult to remove. But if you start to slide the puck, it's pretty easy to pull it off. And that's because magnets are less strong when you start to slide them versus when you pull them off directly. That's when their polarities are more directly aligned. And so if you add you know, a, an interface material like really, really sticky rubber which is what some of the newer car mounts are coming out with, it turns out that MagSafe is actually quite strong because MagSafe kind of holds the device in place and then you need another material, be that a rubber or an adhesive pad or whatever, to kind of do the other half <laughs> of making sure that the shear yeah. strength is, is increased. And that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of surprised that Apple released that horrible wallet <laughs> was because there's nothing on the back of that thing other than leather and leather is extremely slippery, and that thing just flies right off the phone. There's a new product that I tried out, and it's putting cards on the back of my phone isn't my MO, but they use a rubber backing to that wallet that they have that's a MagSafe wallet, and it is significantly better than the one Apple made. It stays in place, doesn't move around. Would I choose it over an actual case with a wallet attached if that was what I wanted to go for? Yeah. Probably not, but it does fix that issue. So MagSafe is weird to me because it seems like a feature that has a lot of potential, 
but Apple hasn't baked it very well. And I think they've kind of waited for other people to find the products to fix. (laughs) I don't know. There's no problems yet. They've said, here's the solution. Figure it out on your own. And I've been disappointed by Apple's own first-party support of MagSafe. And if, if it doesn't improve over the next year, I'm not confident that it will ever become something more than just a, hey, this makes sure that the wireless charger doesn't move around on the back of your phone. Do you see it ever becoming a way for data transfer? I mean, in theory, possibly, but practically no, because wireless is so good now anyway. I mean, ad hoc Wi-Fi is fantastic. So (sighs) how do you envision, how would Apple, who clearly wants to get to a portless phone, how would they get there without MagSafe allowing for data? I mean, is is it the answer you think got some crazy proprietary ad hoc Wi-Fi? Yeah, I mean, I guess my question is for you, when was the last time you plugged your phone in for data transfer purposes? Rarely. So maybe beyond provisioning the device itself, because that would be the argument is, oh, when you're running diagnostics on it and all that stuff, Apple needs a way to be able to communicate with the phone non-wirelessly. They could maybe do something similar to the Apple Watch and actually the AirPods Max have the same thing where if you crack them open, there are a few contacts that allow for data transfer pins that are just hidden inside the device. The Apple Watch famously has them when you pull, I think it's the bottom band off, you can see those little yeah. dots. So that's to communicate. It's it's a very low data rate because they don't need to send that much information. It's just to run, hey, we're Apple, let us do the thing. I won't be surprised if if they move to something like that and maybe even put them underneath one of the antenna windows that are plastic or something like that, wherein should they need to transfer data, they can, but uh, otherwise everyone else just is expected to do it wirelessly. And I think we've kind of seen that based on the fact that that new MagSafe accessories have the, <laughs> they're so silly, but the like the cases, they all have NFC tags in the middle of the MagSafe area so that when you slap the case on, it's like, oh, this is a green case. I don't know what the practical <laughs> applications of that are in the future, because they, I mean, in theory, having NFC tags that can perform an action when you touch your phone against them, when you snap something on it is pretty cool. You can run automations and all that stuff, but that would need to be something that Apple themselves would need to do because they're surely not going to give third-party case manufacturers or accessory makers the ability to do that. And their interest in it seems to be your phone glows blue when you put a blue case on. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. I do know that the slowness of the releases from third parties is also due to Apple. So I had a third party, a major third party come visit me in my home when the right before the 12 launched and they were talking about how they already have their designs, they're already working on stuff. And I was like, "Oh, this is fantastic. Like when are you going to have something for me to like take a look at?" And they were like, "Well, this will probably take 6 months for Apple to approve. Like if you want to get the like the made for iPhone, made for MagSafe type of branding, the official version, it's going to take, it might take six to nine months. And so, and the phone isn't even out yet. The phone doesn't come out for two weeks. We're already working on stuff. We already have prototypes and you won't be able to see them for six to nine months, specifically because of Apple's approval process, which is apparently uh, extremely rigorous. Like they don't, Apple doesn't just charge you a a bunch of money and then say, okay, do what you want. They actually, Apple tests them and then says, your magnets are too strong or not strong enough or, you know, whatever it might be. So I would say, I kind of agree, I guess, like if we don't see major changes and availability 
by the end of the f- the following year of iPhone. So basically, the next of the end of the next iPhone cycle, and something's probably probably wrong. I will say I much prefer MagSafe over just an AirPower mat. Like AirPower is just a mat you just drop your stuff on and charge it up. Whereas MagSafe has so many more utilities. I have all these accessories for like shooting video that you can like you can put them on tripods and 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 yeah drones and all this stuff and you just take your phone and just bam connect it and it doesn't go anywhere i don't know much about magnets but quinn i assume it's like a chain link right like it's the it's the weakest link that no matter how strong the magnet is on the other side it's always only going to be as strong as the magnets in the phone save for adding friction with rubber or something like that yeah you know i'm i'm not as hyper familiar with that i do know that in the technical documentation that apple provided to accessory makers that's publicly available and or it was leaked i read the whole thing they mentioned that larger magnets can be used on the accessory side to compensate for for the phone but there is a limit to physics right so at at a certain point no matter how big you make the magnets on the other side it's still not going to improve <laughs> the the phone right. itself so there are and conversely weaker magnets are, are less strong there are there's one accessory that's uh from rav power that is a it's a magsafe puck knockoff basically it's just a third party yeah, magsafe yeah. charger and it, it works well but the magnets used inside that are significantly lower in kind of grabbing power than than apples and i actually kind of like it when it's at my desk because i don't have to kind of fight to move the magsafe puck off <laughs> but i do know at the same time that there is a limit to how strong they can get and frankly one of the reasons why i i'm skeptical is that there's not really a way that there's ever going to be good, cheap MagSafe accessories because these neodymium magnets that Apple's using are not inexpensive. I mean, it's seriously to the point where they're a couple dollars per unit. And some of the cheaper MagSafe accessories, you can tell they use cheaper magnets and they're not good. (laughs) And conversely, the ones that have really, really, really good, strong magnets, that's three, four, five, six dollars worth of magnets inside the device. I mean, I don't remember if this is an ND8 item, but there's a camera company out there that's making MagSafe accessories for the iPhone. And I've used them and they are remarkably strong, way stronger than even Apple's own MagSafe. And part of it is because they use rubber as well to prevent kind of that sheer pulling of, of the phone's weight. But they're crazy good. And then I go to their website or their you know press release and say, oh, how much are these going to cost? And they are not inexpensive. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah, it might be a kind of upmarket premium type accessory anyway. I got us into the weeds here. No, no, I got us into the weeds with MagSafe. I was just curious. I was just curious what Quinn's Quinn's take on everything was. It's a, it's a good topic. Um, it should be said that there was a difference. So there are magnets in the back of the phone. Magnets are not proprietary. So there are accessories that are compatible with MagSafe, and then there are MagSafe accessories. And a right. MagSafe, an official MagSafe accessory, is it has gone through the process with Apple, and will usually have more official features, better features, basically, than something that's not. So for example, both Hyper and Anchor have these MagSafe batteries. You can take a little battery pack and just magnetize it to the back of your phone. Neither of them are official MagSafe. So that being the case, they charge slower than what a MagSafe charger would charge at. Right. Just usual cheese speeds. Yeah, just regular cheese speeds. Hyper's is 7.5 and Anchor's is only 5 watts. Versus if it was a MagSafe charger, you'd get 15. And Apple is rumored to be working on one of those. So that's the exa- So basically, anyone can make one of these because you just need to put magnets in there to stick to the ones on the phone. But if you want higher functionality 
or in theory, better functionality, then you need to get something that is officially MagSafe. Before we go to the next topic, Quinn, one thing that I am highly aware of, someone is working with Apple on using MagSafe in conjunction with the ultra wideband chip so that when you connect a MagSafe connector in the future, you basically have something equivalent to a Thunderbolt connection to whatever the other end of that cable is plugged into. Now, I don't know if that's Thunderbolt 3 or 2 or 1, but a, a fast connection use, by way of the ultra-wideband chip. Hmm. So the, the hardware, in essence, tricks the user into believing it's going through the MagSafe connection, and when, when in reality, the hardware is what establishes an ad hoc wireless connection, would be my suspicion, right? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, mm. that's what that's why I wanted to tell I you. I wouldn't be surprised if it's I wouldn't be surprised if it's an NFC tag that taps into some special sauce that Apple has in their devices that says, "Hey, when this NFC tag kind of initiates it, this is the SSID and this, you know, this is all the the juju you need to connect the two devices together and then it 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 makes it appear to the user as if it's going through the MagSafe connection when in reality it's just using wireless connectivity." I don't know. Maybe not, but that's that would be my guess. Unless Apple's developed some fancy wireless uh, transmission data inside of the hardware on the the puck, I don't know how that would be. You know, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> if they put ultra, I don't, and I don't know either. But I'm I'm thinking they put ultra wideband in the puck and they put ultra wideband in the phone, and somehow those two wirelessly huh. go high speed. Interesting. I don't know. We'll find um, out. It is interesting. Sounds cool. Yes. Let's move on to a couple of Quinn's recent projects. He just bought a home. Congratulations on hey, that, thank too. thank you. Appreciate it. And I've enjoyed watching. I enjoyed the video you just did about wiring your home because I just did something similar. Yes. Um, now, your home is like 300 years old. Um, <laughs> Not that old, but my, very old. <laughs> my home is a couple of years old. 100 and, 130 almost. Oh, jeez. I thought... Nice. The home I bought is a couple of years old and it had, I think like Cat 5E, you know, wired throughout the home. Okay. I wanted to future-proof myself. Cat 6 is what I used in my last house like 10 years ago and it's still fast today. So I figured, let me go a little bit, a little bit better. I went Cat 6A here and I assume that'll last me another 10 to 15 years of just being totally fine speed-wise. Yeah. But I hired someone to do this. Right. So I just knew I need, I need wiring. I would like it to be compatible with 10 gigabit speeds. Internally, I have 10 gigabit service to my home. Please make this happen for me. Which is incredible, by the way. It is. It's, it's incredible, and it's incredibly in- expensive. Actually, so just to, as an aside, why do I have this? When I moved here, I was promised, like when I was house buying, I would get the address, be interested in a home, contact a broadband provider to make sure that they service the house. What are the fastest speeds I can get? I just wanted something like gigabit, right? So I'm promised, oh yeah, we can do, we can do gigabit there. Okay, great. No, I close on the home. So where you can't like back out, I put down like all this earnest money, right? So I'm like, okay, fantastic. Come to find out the fastest speeds I can get are five megabits down, one megabit up. You sound like One. a candidate for Starlink. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is true. So I'm like, wait a minute. Like I, I was, you don't understand how like 
crestfallen I was because I just I just bought this home. Like what right. what else am I supposed to do? I can't be going to Starbucks to like upload videos every like what am I gonna do? And so I remember this quote from a movie that was like, you can get anything if you pay for it, depending on what it is. Like if you can pay for it, you can get it, make it happen. So I found this company that does this wiring, fiber optic cabling, and it was like you can get one gig speeds for like 600 a month or you can get 10 gig speeds for 800 a month, something like that. It's like when, when they upgrade you just for a little bit, like you can get a medium Coke for a dollar or you can get a, a yeah. large one for a dollar 25. Well, you're going to get the dollar 25 one then. But this was, this is how I had to get internet to my home. It's ridiculously expensive, yeah. but there's like the other option is just upload my videos in 360p like it's very frustrating i'm glad that i yeah. did end up having an option but even at the one gig pricing that's like 10 times the cost of what you know like my neighbors down the street that have comcast and pay for a gig would would have to yeah pay but that's neither here nor there the, the point is i paid for a company to do all this and quinn said to himself i'm getting in my basement i'm wiring everything I don't need help. And I'm bringing cameras into all these locations like a pro. So tell us about this project. Like besides the fact that you know how to make videos and you like doing hands-on projects, at what point did you learn? Here's how you wire a home. Or do you just say to yourself, okay, this is something I need to do. I just need to figure it out and make it happen. And you're just comfortable with that process. I'm a chronic uh, Googler. So I've, since a, being a kid, whenever I wanted to know something, I, I was always the kid that was like, well, why? But why? But, but why? And so that's me as an adult, where instead of asking other people why, I just figure out myself, well, why does this thing work the way that it does? And so whenever I have a question about anything, and I just have a naturally curious mind, I want to know how things work and how they're constructed and how they're assembled and what part does what and how does it function, I just adopt that into my repertoire of, of learning. And so I, I spend a lot of the day reading articles. And if I don't understand something or I don't get why that would be the way that it is, I, I try to do research on it. And as I learn, I try to, one of the ways that I've been able to, to make sure that I retain information is to basically make sure that I could explain it to someone else if I needed to. And if I can successfully explain it to someone else and correctly, then that's a pretty good indicator that I had actually learned what I was attempting to learn. And so that's kind of how I've, I've done a lot of my YouTube videos is I'll start with a, an idea. Hey, I want to do this thing. And I'll be relatively familiar with it because I've learned about you know networking in the past and I know how things are generally organized, but I'll start doing research, answering the questions that I have for myself that I try to think, well, what might someone ask find the answer and then formulate a script or a video that presents the information in a way that is both entertaining and answers the question, should someone, you know, actually bring it up or whatever. So with the networking one, yeah, we just, uh, I decided I wanted to wire my home because I wasn't going to just resort to using Wi-Fi or a mesh network. I had Google Fiber in the neighborhood and I wanted to have one gig speeds everywhere in my home. And so I started planning out uh, cable drops because I wanted a couple rooms where I know I wanted a hardwired internet connection. And then I started thinking, well, you know what? I'm going to want wireless access points in each room. 
let's learn about those. Okay, so it turns out you can't have too many of them, but if you don't have enough, then you're going to have issues there. And if the transmission power on an access point is too high, your Wi-Fi device is not going to want to ever get off. So that's when you end up at the end of your driveway, still connected to your Wi-Fi in your house when you can't actually get any data. So how do you balance that? And how does the density of your walls affect wireless signals? And so I just researched all the stuff myself and then tried to make a video that was interesting and fun enough that people would want to watch it. And I'm actually kind of surprised myself that half a million people have seen it in the last month because I I was kind of one of those things where I just need to do it anyway. So Maybe since I've found this kind of interesting, someone else might. <laughs> yeah. That is cool. That is cool. Thanks. And like the thing with that is most people, even me, like I will, I will set up my Wi-Fi. And if I'm getting to the end of my driveway and not getting data, it's just like, that's just my, that's just how my Wi-Fi is. You take it to the next level of, okay, this is a problem. How can I even solve that and teach people, you know, how yeah. to, how to solve for this? Like, so kudos to you. That video hey, was highly entertaining and also like you grew like a beard mid-video like, <laughs> i knew i knew only you guys would notice i kept telling my editor i was like i think when we started this i had like because we filmed it over the course of a, a month probably because it was just something that yeah. i i chip away on a little bit. i mean the whole thing probably took 60 70 hours and it's one of those things where when you think yeah. about it in retrospect you're like i should have just paid someone a couple thousand dollars to do that it would have been much better use of time but I am glad that I was able to learn from it. It's just something I enjoy. Rather than sit on the couch and watch Netflix for three hours, I'd rather do a project. And so this was this was one of them. But it was funny that from the beginning of the video to the end, I get increasingly more hammered looking and <laughs> probably gain five pounds in the process, you know? <laughs> Are you growing back the old school Quinn beard just out of curiosity? No, my wife would divorce me. Um, I am growing ah, back got a beard, but I've been told that the curly mustache is specifically prohibited. Everything else is fine, <laughs> but I've just been keeping it a mid length. I actually just trimmed it down because in my last video, I was like, that looks pretty bad. So I've, I've, I've de neck beardified it a little bit. And <laughs> yeah. How did your wife feel about you knocking holes in the walls of your new house? Oh, she was terrified, but I just told her, Hey, you know what? It's fine. Also, it was great because our house was so old that there are already a bunch of weird things like that. So she'd be like, please don't damage this thing. I'm like, you think this is going to appear? Come look at this. This is this part of the foundation <laughs> is falling down. I mean, that's no, this is no problem. <laughs> so she just starts pointing out all the she, faults. She's of very the good. She, she trusts my judgment perhaps more than she should, but yeah. She knows who she married. Yeah, that's right. It's part of the package. <laughs> John has some smart home questions for you. John, get into those real quick. I mean, okay, so you shared, I think it was over Twitter, was it the weekend or over the weekend you shared your home kit settings. Mm -hmm. And I have never been more jealous of a smart home setup in my life. From your floors to your toilet to curtains, you had everything set up. So my question for you is how frustrating was that? <laughs> Dealing with the home kit <laughs> inside. I mean, yeah, we all know everything can, can work, but how frustrating was it inside of HomeKit to make all of that work? Did you use hoops? So I, <laughs> I did not use hoops. I do use HomeBridge. There is a video that I'm actually doing on this very subject because every time I saw, I was adamant about not having a smart home because I have seen people say like, oh, look at my 
Philips Hue and look at this flashy stuff. And, and in the video, it looks really good, but you know they never actually use it because you're like, well, that's absurd. Who's going to go into the app and change the color of this room to green that like one moment of the, you know, whatever. And so I, I felt like a lot of the problems with home automation and smart home stuff in general was that if it becomes more inconvenient than the problem it's attempting to solve, it's not good. So if it's slower yeah. for me to turn on my lights than it is to just walk over to the light switch and flip it up, I'm not going to use it. And so I had two really fundamental objectives when I started building out this, this house was one, I want to make sure that should the smart home completely disappear, nothing loses functionality. So my smart switches are Lutron Caseta smart switches. They're not, you know, it's mm. not like some of the Philips stuff where if you don't have stuff really kitted out, you turn the light switch off on your room and, oh, guess what? Now none of your hue bulbs work because there's no power for them to draw. So mm. yeah. I wanted to make sure that it was was bulletproof, that I didn't have to use Siri or HomeKit or an app to do anything. I should be able to do everything with a button on the wall. And then my second objective, and this was perhaps my more pressing one was that I wanted to make sure that I could use everything from a centralized location. I didn't want to have to use multiple apps. I wanted to be able to do everything from the same place. And Google does that to an extent, but I think HomeKit is is actually generally one of the best ecosystems for that. Now, that's not to say that HomeKit is perfect. I had some real annoyances getting some stuff to work with HomeKit. But my main objective was buy everything HomeKit capable if you can. And then the stuff that you decide you want that's not HomeKit capable, buy it if it's able to work with HomeKit via something like Hoobs or Homebridge. And then last, if there's something that you still want that cannot work with HomeKit, determine if you really want and or need it if it won't fit into the rest of your ecosystem. So there's one thing that I kind of wanted that didn't end up working out, and that was a smart controlled bathroom fan. And there's one that was made that had a built-in humidity sensor and it wasn't HomeKit supported. And I figured, you know what, I'm never going to use this directly to control stuff. So whatever, if it has its own app. And, And the idea was that when I get in the shower, no one remembers to turn the bathroom fan on when they get in the shower. And so let me just start showering. And once it detects a change in humidity, then it'll turn the fan on by itself. There was no HomeKit supported one available. And rather than go out and get a third party one that I thought might work, but could need its own app and would have this weird, janky kind of third party app that's kludgy and doesn't work very well, I figured that I would just kind of make my own. And so I put a fan in the ceiling. It's controlled via a light switch. And I turn that light switch into rather than just being off and on, it's a speed controlled Caseta fan switch. Mm. But that doesn't fix the problem of, oh, well, there's still no humidity sensing. So I went out to Amazon, got a cheapo humidity sensor, and I set up an automation so that if the humidity sensor that's directly above my shower detects a change in humidity over the course of five minutes of more than 7%, it's pretty obvious that I'm taking a shower. And so then it'll turn the fan on, it'll vent the room, and then after X number of minutes or after it goes back down to the ambient humidity it was before, it'll shut off. So it did take some kind of molding to set up and and you'll see that in the video but it it mostly came down to i want this to be a smart home without needing to be a smart home and the great thing is is if in 10 years you know all these companies go out of business and apple abandons HomeKit and no one decides they want to do smart home stuff anymore i don't have to replace anything in my house still works great and that's that was a big because this stuff is expensive 
So, so yeah. you want to make sure that it's still going to work in five, 10 years, especially when you're jamming it into your walls and into your light bulb sockets and, and what have you. Can I just say, okay, first of all, that video is not out yet, but you said it's coming. So we'll have a link to Quinn's channel in the notes. Before we started recording, we noticed that you were not on camera. Or you told us, I don't have a camera set here on my phone. <laughs> yeah. and John, John made the comment, I'm surprised <laughs> because being Quinn, we figured you would just build your own camera out of materials <laughs> you have strewn about the house or office. And it was a joke. But then you just said it was a, ha it was a ha half joke, right? Half joke, <laughs> because then you just said there there was this home kit thing I was looking for and it didn't exist. So I basically went out and built one and then it didn't have the humidity, though. So then I went out and built that. And now one exists in my home. You, you just you just made your own. You made your own home kit accessory. Now, I don't know about that. I just glued some stuff together, but it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> that is Quinn. Quinn. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Let people know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on all of the social medias at, at SnazzyQ, and you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy. Yes. And if you listen to this show, this is something that you would really enjoy. So definitely check out the YouTube channel, follow it, subscribe, and just bask in, in the knowledge that will be coming your way. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app. If you haven't done so already, just search Geared Up. That's two words, not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at GearLive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.